This is Roger Hallam, and you're listening to Designing the Revolution. Talk 10, part two, uh, sociability practice. Okay, so uh, hello everyone, and this is um, the continuation of the sociability um, practices in various meetings and spaces. And yeah, there's a whole list of them, so I thought I'd split this into two talks. When the in the previous session, I was going talking about offline meetings, okay, and stalls and leaflets design and such like. And so what I want to start off in this session is looking at online meetings. Okay, so we don't want to be dogmatic. You know, it's not like online meetings are the only thing that counts nor offline meetings or anything that counts. It's like you can obviously have both. So it's possible to have a standard recruitment meeting online and just the pool does this and it won't surprise you that it's pretty much similar to the offline meeting in so much as uh, it's advertised and people uh, come along and hear someone speak and then there's breakout groups in the different breakout rooms on the Zoom call, and they sign up for staff pathways to action. So I'm not going to repeat all that. But what I would like to do is say, one of the great things about online meetings, of course, is anyone can join them. They're not limited by where they live, which has a big advantage. So one of the things that can be developed and has been done in Just Apoil is when there's a big national event, like there's a big news story, for instance, last year, uh, the UK went over 40 degrees for the first time in however many thousand years and all that. Um, we said, right, we're going to have a crisis national meeting. And we persuaded Jeremy Corbyn, the ex-leader of the great uh, Labour Party, Chris Packham, who's a major TV uh, naturalist in the UK and various other big wigs, as you might say, to come on. And they put it on their social media and various organizations promoted it. And I think around 3,000 people turned up in on seven days' notice. I don't think they all got onto the Zoom call for various reasons. But the principle, of course, is that uh, you can ask people that are well-known in different spheres of society, you know, in religion or, you know, animal rights or, you know, yeah, different areas, uh, women's movements. And they can come on to a call and a few hundred people can be on it, no problem. And and then it follows a similar format, which is someone introduces it and then the celebrity, the famous people, do about five minutes. You can have up to seven people, so there's lots of different people on the call. They don't all have to be, you know, super famous or whatever. It can be some normal people in commas. And after 30, 40 minutes, you've had all the talks. Maybe there's three or four people, maybe there's seven, but you don't want to go for more than 40 minutes. And then there's testimonies, as we've described. So people talk for three or four minutes. People in who uh, have been involved in civil disobedience and what have you. And then you go into the breakout groups people first of all go around saying you know how they feel about what's been said and then as we discussed in the last session there's four pathways to action including giving a donation uh, giving their details which they can give when they go onto the zoom call so you've captured all the data 
and it's obviously a great participatory and effective way of recruiting people and spreading the word. So all good. Now, um, backtracking a bit, I suppose, is another advantage of online meetings is that uh, you can publicize them anywhere, or at least all around the UK, in so much as uh, you just do something in the UK. And I work with my friend Rob, who does this sort of full-time doing research on what sort of adverts, social media adverts, would attract people onto a call. So I'm not going to discuss exactly what the results of that research are. It's more like the principle that if you take a group like women over 50, that you know that happens to be probably the most significant demographic involved in civil resistance, believe it or not, in the Western world. Um, then what Rob did was do did interviews with um, with a significant number of people who'd got involved in the movement and asked them questions about their motivation, their background, and what have you. And what we were looking for is emotional phrases. In other words, thing the ways they spoke, the words they used, the turn of phrases, the slang, also the tone and the pitch and such like. And then we replicated that in the adverts. So again, this is a little bit of a online form of creating sociability. So when you're flipping, you know, going through Facebook or whatever social media you use, you immediately are drawn to people like you, talking like you, um, and using, you know, accents or pitch or a tone that you recognize as something you're drawn to. So notice that this is not about information, right? It's not about, hello, human being, computer. <laughs> Here are three facts about the climate. Come on this Zoom call, right? What works uh, is emotional connectivity, this sociability connection where people are going, oh, yeah, this is something for me because subliminally or you know, consciously or subconsciously they're going, yeah, you know, I'm concerned about this and these seem like good people and I'm going to give their details. And then there's what's called a funnel where people receive an email. Again, the email isn't going to say, hello, computer human being, here's some facts. It's going to give a video of woman over 50, if it's aimed at that demographic, giving her story. Um, it's going to have a quote from two or three women over 50 about their journey. It's going to give some emotional sort of orientation around the state of the world. And then, of course, it's going to have a pathway to action, which is the link to the Zoom call. Um, and then there might be two or three emails. It could be a text on the day. People, you know, a woman over 50 would ring the person up, say, hi, you know, uh, my name's Joan. Uh, this is my story. Um, how, how did you come to give your details? What's your story? And again, subliminally or subconsciously, people are going to think, oh, right, this is, I'm entering into some sociability zone, some sort of sense of community without necessarily using that word. So 
when we get onto organisation on talking about the dynamo situation, I'll give you some stats around it, which are quite interesting. But for the purpose of this session, all I'm trying to do is give you a sense of how you go about designing this advertising and designing these online meetings. Um, so let's move back offline uh, just to remember where we're up to in this process. So we have the leaflets, we've got the stalls, you know, we do the door knocking, so that's the first thing. Then people come, we've done the online adverts. Uh, we might do local adverts, you know, local social media. So there's a bunch of things. There's a checklist there for you. And then, and then people are going to these meetings. Um, and then what happens after that, right? So arguably, you know, this, this is not like all or nothing, but arguably a good thing to do is to have your follow-up meeting. So if you remember, I've said this a few times, when there's a first meeting, it's like from a proximity design point of view, you don't want to be presenting it within the frame of this is a meeting. It's this is the first of two meetings. We're going to be getting together next week uh, in this community center, in this pub, at the same time, and having a bit of a social get-together. Note, this is a social get-together. It's not another you know, bureaucratic meeting where people are going to go through political stuff and blah, 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 right? All that's getting sorted out. The, the bureaucracy and stuff is getting sorted out outside the meeting. What we want to design is a get-together because that's what human beings like. They like to get together, have some food, have a chat, you know, of something of common interest, feel connection, create this sociability. So how do we do that? Well, yeah, we have a social, that's first of all. What's the social look like? In some ways, it's like similar, but a pared down version of the initial meeting. In other words, people have heard the science, but they probably want to hear the science again, but they don't want to hear 40 minutes of it. So maybe there's an intro, and then you say, look, we're going to give you a little bit more information. Maybe this is new information, some new facts and figures and what have you. But you're only going to go for 10 minutes, and people are going to go, oh, right, yeah, it is. this is the situation. Or, you know, So it reinforces that uh, commitment that they initially made, and maybe in the week between, you know, they had various domestic crises and problems at work, and they've sort of half forgotten about it. But the idea, of course, is that, People need to hear things three times, so they've heard it a second time, as you might say. So that's that's the first thing. And then someone else gets up, you want you know, two or three people to do it, so it's not just one person rambling on. And the second person talks about uh, the route to civil disobedience and the pathways. And then you have two testimonies, again, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe three. And then you have a breakout, a breakout, groups, you know, five or six people. The question is, how do you feel, you know, since the last meeting? Yeah, people have a good chat about it. It can be quite free-flowing. Um, maybe they've been asked to bring a friend. So there's one or two new people there. Definitely, they should be asked to bring a friend. And then there's an action briefing, which means, okay, we're going out leafleting. You know, the civil disobedience training is on such a day. There's going to be a march. Uh, if you haven't given your donation, know how that's put, you know, this is a thing now, we're all part of it, everyone gives a donation, um, then you can do so. 
So all of that doesn't necessarily have to take that long. And then basically it moves into a social situation. So people, you know, can meet in a pub, people can go and get a drink, can share some food together. Uh, and it's just a chance to get to know people. Two or three hosts, let's say there's 15 people, two or three hosts are wandering around, having a little one-to-one chat with people, make sure they're okay, you know, check in with them, introduce them to someone else, just like it is a party. Because it is a party. That's the whole plan. (laughs) Okay. So the other thing is, you know, it lasts no more than an hour, an hour and a half, let's say. Because a lot of people are busy, particularly people with kids. They don't want a thing to be going on for three hours talking about some intellectual thing with some bloke rambling on and all the rest of it. Okay, so that then can then lead to some training or to another meeting or even another social. But the general rule of thumb from a proximity point of view is within four weeks, everyone's out doing something, you know, ideally before that in terms of protest. Um, Yes, they've gone out leafleting, so they go to the cafe after the leafleting or the pub, someone buys them around, uh, get to know each other. Um, but the general direction of travel, of course, is the day of reckoning, as it were, when they go out and make a public statement of what they think about the crisis. It has to be reasonably quick, like within four to five weeks. Okay, so in between that, We've got the phoning and the emailing and what have you. So what we're doing here is trying to get away from this atomized headset, which is a lot more difficult than you think, because you're probably listening to this going, okay, so there's a meeting, and then there's another meeting, and then there's this. It's like, no, there's a flow of sociability, which is all in close proximity. In other words, we're thinking about the whole process. We're not thinking about the individual bits. In other words, we're moving away from this atomized, materialistic worldview, which we talked about, right? Which you're probably thinking, yeah, that's cool. Moves away from it. It's actually really difficult because you've been, you know, brainwashed into it, as it were, for years and decades. So it's not going to suddenly disappear. So you have to consciously think this is one single system, okay? From the point the point when you put your leaflet through your door, through to people going on the street. And the links, and remember the links are really important rather than the nodes. In other words, the bits in between the meetings are just as important, if not more important. And they are constituted through emails, texts, and phone calls. So we talked a bit about the emails, you know, being linked links to resources, videos, personal testimonies then giving some information. Um, texts are obviously fairly straightforward. You know, again, personalized. Hi, it's Joe here. I met you last week. Uh, the meeting's coming up, you know, tonight. Hope to see you there. You know, bye, that sort of stuff. With the phone calls, the phoning, again, is not, a, is not. I think you've probably got the idea now. The phoning is not there to give information. The phoning is there to uh, deepen the sociability, the connectivity between people. So the person who's phoning a person should already know them, like it should ideally be the person that ran the breakout group, for instance. So you phone the person up and you go, hi, you know, it's Joe here. 
I was in your breakout group uh, at the meeting on Monday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry to disturb you. Just checking in. How are you doing? Uh, did you get all the information okay? You know, they say, yeah, a little bit of small talk. How are you doing? And then there's... Um, we've got... <laughs> It's a bit noisy today in this prison, isn't it? Anyway, I will carry on regardless. Right. Yeah, so you are then asking them how they feel about what they've heard, maybe if you feel that's appropriate, and you get some feedback on the process. You're saying a little bit more about yourself. So I'm Joe. Yeah, you know, I was like you. I just went to these meetings and I've done anything political, never done protests before, but... You know, I think it's important. I've got my kids, you know, worried about their future, this sort of stuff. So you've got that testimony. Then you've got the third person sort of element, which is, okay, so lots of people are going leafleting next Thursday, um, about 7 o'clock at the King's Pub. Um, I'm going, would you be up for coming with me? You know, I'd really appreciate some help because I've got like five roads to do, I think. So you notice how that works is you're saying what other people are doing because you're people entering a community and you're saying you're specifically asking them to help you, okay, because you're going to be their mate, as it were, and they're going to turn up and you're going to have this little crew and you're going to do some leafleting and go to the pub afterwards. It's going to be quite nice, you know. It's not going to be take the whole evening. It's going to take two hours, something like that. Nothing too dramatic. You can be back, you know, see your kids put to bed, all that sort of stuff. Um... And then there's the pathway to the donation. So with the donation, you know, maybe they put on the breakout group that they don't want to give a donation, you know, it's not their thing, or they just don't have the money. But we're hoping if it's done properly, 50% of people in the breakouts will have said, yeah, sure, you know, I can give the donation. So how do you do that? So this is how the system works, using the third person. This is what people do. This is how this community works. People give a donation. They give it over the phone. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. You just give your debit card details. I put them on on the system. You tell me how how much money you want to give and each month, and it takes about a minute and a half. So if you've got your debit card handy, I can do that now if that's okay. And they say, yeah, that's cool, or they haven't got it, and you just make an arrangement to ring them again. So I'll give you a ring at a set time. You know, tomorrow evening, 8 o'clock, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Speak to you then, sort of thing. Okay, so that's obviously critical because, as I've indicated a few times, this donation situation is really important in creating the Dynamo, and you're probably all wanting to get on to find out about that, or you should be. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you about it in this session. So... That's all quite detailed, and uh, it has to be detailed because details count. What I'm going to do is um, just move on to the design of actions. And we're going to have several sessions on action design, but I'm just going to give you a little taste of how the sociability element and the proximity element sort of are imbued, embedded within the spaces of action as well. So again, what I'm trying to get you to think about is not this atomized system, you know, you do recruitment, you do, you know, the socials situation, 
you do the non-violence training and then they go and do an action. It's like, no, 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 right? It's all one single system. So every moment of people coming together is designed around the sociability principles. Every, every coming together is a community building event. It's not like, hey, we're a community now and now we're going to do action. The action is itself a community building episode. And that's central to its conception and design. So we don't have these breaks. Um, in some ways, the action, the point of the action is to deepen the community. You might even say that's the primary aim. It sounds a bit strange, but from an investment point of view, obviously if people come together in a healthy community connection, then they're going to go and do more actions. So it's, it's totally crucial to the whole design. So I'm not going to go into massive detail. I'm just going to give you a little flavor of things because I'll be going through this again. But as we mentioned, one of the key things in terms of civil resistance is nonviolence training. Um, and the good news is, if you're not familiar with this, and I'm sure many of you are, but one of the amazing things about um, nonviolence training is it's, it's massively effective in terms of maintaining discipline when people are out on the, on the streets. Now, never say never, of course, but it's, it's effective because people over the last 20, 30, 40 years have worked out what, um, oh, yes, the banging stopped. <laughs> it's great. I thought, oh, we'd, we'd be having a nice, quiet, you know, cell, no background noise and all the rest of it, no telly. Anyway, um, as you can see, someone's trying to communicate through the cell door. Where are we? Nonviolence training. Right, I will, I will carry on regardless. What the nonviolence training involves, primarily involves, is the creation of connectivity through people moving their bodies. Um, so this is role playing. I think I've mentioned this. But it's also can be used as a way of um, recreating the sociability elements of a normal meeting. So for the sake of argument, you go to nonviolence training and it's not like, oh, I'm into nonviolence training. It's more like, okay, so let's have a go around, let's split small groups, you know, how are you doing, what are your hopes and fears for the day, um, and such like. There could be a section on the science, you know, this is all about nonviolence training, but let's remember why we're here. We're here because you know, heading over two degrees, and this is the latest science. All right, yeah, that's why I'm here. Um, there could be two or three testimonies, you know. I didn't know anything about this whole nonviolence routine, but I went on this training, and it's been really good for me. I went out into the, you know, went out and did some nonviolence activities, and it was really helpful. So you're sort of setting the scene, you're creating this community, uh, sociability, and then you've got the heart of the design, which is the role playing, which I've talked about, uh, so that your body sort of gets used to it and your body tells you at the end of the session, you know, you receive that notion of feeling of empowerment. Yeah, I can do this. Uh, I've, I've seen what it involves. It's, I, I've seen the fear, so it's not like an unknown fear anymore. And I'm with this great team. And actually, I quite like these people, you know, and such like. And then there's a pathway to action, you know, all the normal stuff. If you haven't given a donation yet, then there's an opportunity to do that. We've covered how that works. 
Um, and some people have discussed, and I've done this myself, but I think it's probably a cool idea, that at the end of the day, you know, it sounds a bit naff, but they get a little certificate and gives them a clap, you know, they cross the line, <laughs> something slightly cultic like that, but, you know, it can be done in a semi-humorous way. Maybe they get a jacket, um, someone shakes their hand, you know, blah, 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 you know. Uh, I think Napoleon said that if you, if he has an unlimited amount of ribbon, you know, you can conquer Europe sort of thing. So what he's saying is, you know, all these like ceremonies, they consolidate this connection and and um, the resilience to go and do something that's obviously intrinsically scary, but doable. So when, when we move to the actual action itself, you can see a sort of similar, a similar construction, right? You have a beginning bit, you have the action itself, and then you have an end bit. So the beginning bit is let's say for the sake of argument, you know, you're going to uh, someone's house or a location the night before, you're going to have a, a go-round, everyone says how they're feeling, you can have a technical briefing on what's going to go on, maybe people are going to sing a song, you know, or do some meditation or something, something not too embedded in a particular culture, but something that everyone's going to feel happy about. And then the following morning, obviously, people go out, and do the actions, and we're talking about that all in future sessions. They, let's say they get arrested in the UK, the normal routine is you let out around 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, someone meets with you, you're taken to a place where you can sleep, you know, hopefully a house or something like that, might be 10 or 20 people in the house or the place, and then the following morning, it's not like, okay, you know, you're this material Thing that's set in the road, off you go home. It's like, no, we're all human beings. So people want to talk. Obviously, they're going to talk informally over their breakfast, talk about their grandchildren, you know, talk about their grandparents, whatever it's going to be. And then they're going to sit down and have a debrief. So the debrief is there, again, not just to give technical information, it's partially what went well, what didn't go well, what improvements could be made. So there's three elements to it. But it's also a chance for people to emotionally reconnect uh, after the event and say, yeah, this is my team, these are my people. And that then moves into, again, a pathway, which doesn't have to be full on. These people are going to be quite tired, but it's more like we're going to be coming down next week. You, know, you don't need to meet, make a total commitment now, but are we all going to do that? You know, people put their hands up, maybe some people count, uh, but it's like, embedded people have made that decision they're going to do it again so as i mentioned with the case study of insulate britain this was a major element in consolidating this circularity of commitment it's not just a lin it's not a linear thing it's not like you go and do one action it's more like no you're going to come back you're going to do more leafleting you're going to do um you know maybe you'll hold a meeting and then two weeks later, you're going to come down again and and do it again and again <laughs> until um, something happens that's vaguely sane. All right. So just before we finish, I'm just going to take a little bit of a sidestep here and look at how this sociability paradigm, as it were, covers a whole range of different social interactions. Um, it's a big thing. It's not just a little technique, right? It's a philosophy. 
of a being, as you might say, you've got some sound to ground. So I just want to have a look at two of the things that are sort of developing in society in terms of bringing people together. So one of them is mediation. So some of you may be familiar with this, but mediation, at least in the UK, there's a fairly standard routine. And the reason it's standard routine is because it works really well. Now, by mediation, I don't mean, you know, you get fall out with someone, you go and have a chat with them after the meeting, you know, you sort it out. Nor does it mean someone's been, you know, violently attacked or sexually abused or something really full on, in which case, um, you know, obviously major things have to happen. What I'm talking about is two people, you know, they've had issues with each other, they're finding it really difficult to get on. Often they're embarrassed about it and they, you know, want to get on, but for various reasons they're not. So what you do is you do this mediation process. Now, the mediation process involves one side, one person, saying how it is for them, and then the other side saying, summarizing in some detail what that person said. And then you reverse the process. The other person says how they see the situation, and the other person, without making any judgments, tries to accurately detail what that person has, has said. Now, if people are computers, this would be like really silly, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, I've heard the information, that's fine. It's like, no, what you need to do, because we're human beings, is we need to engage in the act of speech. We need to be able to speak our truth. This is how it is for me. And then you need to hear another the person who you've got a lot of negative feelings towards. You need to hear them engaging the act of speech, saying how it is for you. So this is not a calculative, cognitive type thing. It's the emotional thing of creating connection and sociability between these two people. Now, obviously, it's not a miracle cure. And a thing maybe has to happen twice. Sometimes it has to happen in separate rooms or something initially. Um, but at a certain point, other things being equal, then you can move on to some mutually agreed solutions. And some written agreement, let's say, and with a bit of luck, people are going to move on. But you can see in that structure, again, this new conception. You know, it's not just, you know, just accept this person as different from you. No, you need to actually engage with that person face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, as you might say. So I'm just going to throw in sort of thing, which is quite interesting, just to have a little think about, which is, um, looking at a text together. So looking at a text together goes back a long way as it happens because people in the Christian church, for instance, have been doing Bible study you know, for a good 2,000 years, <laughs> as I understand it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot going for this. It would seem so anyway. So what's interesting by looking at a text is it's a bit like those two guys in the, in, in the car they want to connect, but they don't want to be staring into each other's eyeballs, right? It's just too full on. It's too sociable. But there's this, by sort of looking ahead, they've got this sort of protection and they can start communicating and then maybe they are going to have a chat, you know, face to face. Similarly, like when people are in some sort of conflict or they don't want to have a full on argument, they can look at a third sort of node in the system. So there's a bunch of people 
and they're not looking at each other. You don't have that intensity, that ego conflict. You're having, look, let's look at these ideas. So everyone looks at these ideas together that are embedded in the text. So what's happening there is, again, don't think about it in a cognitive, rational way. Think about it in, in a bodily way, that these people are engaging in a joint activity together. And it's the joint activity together that facilitates their connectivity in their sociability. It doesn't actually matter primarily what they think of the text or, or what their individual views are. What matters is they're all engaging in a bodily act of speaking together in a group about something that's outside of all of them. And you see how that works. So these ideas are, you know, potentially universal. And I could talk about them more and we're going to be we're going to be incorporating them into the whole action system uh, and through this whole revolutionary project. I'm going to leave you with two bits of homework, <laughs> as you might say. So one is go away and spend 10 minutes designing a film night. Okay. So as a little hint, it's not about the film. Okay. And then if you're feeling particularly enthusiastic, go away and design a house meeting. So a house meeting, you know, they're a bit like Bible readings, you know, been going on for hundreds, thousands of years. People to come together uh, in someone's house and various things happen. So what would happen in your view to design for maximum proximity and sociability? Um, as it happens, I think there's massive potential for house meetings. I might even do a podcast about it. But it's something that hasn't really been nailed yet. So maybe you'll come up with a perfect design, as you might say. All right. So in conclusion, there's quite a lot to take in there. As I say, I've done it in a lot of detail because it is about the detail. I can tell you without any hesitation, all of this is about the detail. So, so far in these podcasts, you know, we talked about these big heady things about, you know, revolution is inevitable and what have you. But my proposition to you all is it comes down to attention to these minute elements uh, of five or six spaces of integration and mobilization. And if you get that right, as we all come on to see, then you're going to have a massive movement as opposed to 20 people in the room or even six. One thing to remember is this is all about checklists. Okay, so once you've looked at all this or you've looked at documentation from an A22 network uh, group in you know, a non-UK country or you've looked at just a poil, then it's all about the checklist because unless you're a genius and there's not many geniuses around, at least of all myself, is I need a checklist, otherwise I'm going to forget stuff. In other words, when you go into, go into these spaces and you're organizing it, it's easy peasy, right? You've got your list of things, you've got to get someone to you know, meet people at the door, you've got someone to get their donations, to the bomb. The second thing is, just to remind you again, it's all about iteration, right? So don't panic. You do, uh, you know, your first house meeting, no one turns up. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's okay. It gives you a lot of information. Like, you've got to change your routine a bit. You're going to have to knock on more doors or something. Okay, so you iterate, and that's, that process requires some sort of statistical comparison, and we'll be coming on to talk about that. But don't panic. It's about doing it over and over again. 
All right, so what does this lead us towards? I'll end on a little bit of a grand finale here because what I want to say is what we're doing here is we're connecting our traditions, uh, what we've done in the past as radical movements into the present and creating this egalitarian community um, situation. Okay, so to finish off these three podcasts on sociability, I want to make a, a, a grand claim, as you might say. Uh, what I think we're doing here is we're fusing our traditions, these radical traditions that we're all connecting with, with the findings of modern psychology, and we're creating an updated notion of egalitarian community. And my claim is going to be that this sociability paradigm, which replaces this old self-interested, materialistic, atomized paradigm, is the basis for our new civilization. Because we all have at the back of our minds, or we may, at the front of our minds, the notion that this civilization is done. It's done morally and spiritually, and it's done materially. Something else is going to come after it. And maybe, you know, we're all done for, but maybe not. And in so much as we're not all done for, then this new civilization has to be, like, designed and has to be constituted so that when the moment comes, it's there, it's ready to get going, and it's viable. And if it's going to be viable, it needs a whole philosophy of life, it needs a whole way of organizing, and it needs to be... Uh, practically operational. It can't be a load of waffle. And what I've tried to show in the last two sessions is this is not a load of waffle, right? It's concrete ways of actually being in society and organizing concrete stuff. Uh, and that's our big plus, as you might say. So that's not the end of the story. I'm going to be, you know, embellishing this. We're going to have more blobs on the on the canvas, some really big ones, particularly what's happening next with the action system. So we're building this up, but it's like we've made our first big step on what we're trying to do here in terms of this revolutionary transformation. And on that note, I'll leave you and I'll get on with sorting the action sessions out and speak to you again soon. Bye.